0: To Bible study, actually, next time we'll do adult Bible study is going to be in two weeks because next Sunday is, is a very, very big outreach Sunday for us, and it's our first responders day. If you remember, <clears throat> God burdened our pastor to uh, do a law enforcement day two years ago. and We wanted to do do this kind of thing every other year, and so... Um, this is the year we're going to do it again, and we decided to to broaden it out to a first responders day, which includes all city and county first responders. Pastor, how many have registered so far? Uh, well, total will have over 100. Okay, so so over a hundred um, have registered so far. I bet you, uh, just knowing Liberal, Kansas, we'll have another thirty that register on Saturday or so. But um, I, we imagine it that we're going to have a great crowd. Um, And we're going to start 15 minutes earlier than normal next Sunday, just because there's so many things that go into a first responder Sunday. A lot of giveaways that we're we're, uh, having, a lot of corporate sponsors have just jumped on board in our community. We're giving away three all-expense-paid trips and um, giving away some some different things throughout the course of the morning and honoring those first responders. I know Brother Mike is working really hard on a tribute video to them that's going to be great. Um, and of course uh, God's laid a message on pastor's heart uh, to preach to them and then some music that day That's gonna be great. So be praying for that this week and don't forget no Bible study next week Just come to church and ready to worship at 1030 instead of 1045 pass that along to your friends and neighbors So everybody's here on time and then we will conclude our adult Bible study series all in um, The Sunday after that and uh, look at, really looking forward I've already previewed the lesson for that week. It's going to be very, very helpful. And then, Lord willing, if God continues to lead in this way. We're going to study through the book of Ecclesiastes um, in our adult Bible study class. And it's going to be a little longer than what we normally do. It's going to be about a 12-week, to 11-12-week study. And uh, that will be the third Sunday in September, Lord willing. So I hope you'll get on board for the start of that. Great, great book of the Bible. That we can learn a lot from. If you brought your copy of God's Word, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Don't forget also that the, all of our kids clubs, including our, our youth group services on Wednesday night, those start uh, Wednesday, September, is it this Wednesday? Yeah, so it's this Wednesday. So um, if you're an adult and you're not involved in serving on, in those ministries, then pastor does a Bible study in here from 7 to 8 on Wednesdays, um, but we also have ministry going on for all ages um, on those Wednesdays between Kids for Christ, the Flyers Club, Impact Student Ministries, which is 6th to 12th grade. So, man, you can find, find a place somewhere in here on Wednesday and get fed from the Word of God or serve um, in that way. And then, ladies, don't forget, our ladies, your ladies' meeting starts Tuesday night, September 11th at 7, and the theme this year is Armor Up, studying Ephesians chapter 6. So that's heart to heart. Don't forget about that. It's going to be a great year starting on September 11th. Well, Sunday night, or Wednesday night rather, I preached two verses out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And just my desire and and love for preaching a passage in its context drove me back to 2 Timothy chapter 2 to kind of conclude um, what I wouldn't have had time to preach um, on Wednesday night. And so it has less to do to today with pastoral transition and more to do with the idea of the text here. So, so I want to deal with that. Let's read together in 2 Timothy chapter 2 in verses 1 through 7. Thou, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou, therefore, endure hardness... As a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Paul's writing the very last epistle of his life, when he writes Second Timothy. And he's writing it specifically to young Timothy, his son in the faith. And he exhorts him in verse 1 to be strong. Now this was an imperative, meaning it wasn't a suggestion. It was a command, and Paul's saying to young Timothy, Timothy, you have to be strong. But he didn't end there, or else that would have been debilitating advice in the long run, because even the strongest form of human courage is still a very limited resource. Meaning even the strongest of men eventually become weak. And so Paul tells Timothy to be strong in grace. This is so important for the Christian life because it's talking about that strengthening grace. That all-sufficient grace. You have the right amount at the right time. The same grace that saved you from your sin is actually the same exact grace that empowers you to live for Christ every day. Which is good news for us because it means you don't have to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and just be strong for God every day. We can't do that in the world in which we live. Willpower won't work. You need to be inwardly strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus on a daily basis. This is a grace that that is accessed through daily private communion with Christ. That's why you hear preached and taught so often around here that you need to be in the word of God every day need to be in your prayer closet. I mean, more than praying for your food. You need to be in in private prayer with God every day. Why? That's where you access the strengthening grace of God. On top of that, man, you can listen to godly music and access the grace of God. On top of that, you can fellowship with God's people who have a kindred spirit for the things of God. And that's a way to access the strengthening grace of God. In other words, you need to be in a place every day, if you're going to be strong... In the grace that is in Christ Jesus, you've got to get to the places where you can access grace. Then, I have to ask the question, based on that imperative in verse 1, why would Paul tell Timothy to be strong in grace? Well, it was because of what he was about to entrust him to do. Because in verse 2, he was about to entrust him with the responsibility of passing on what he's been given. Passing on the faith. He was was entrusting Paul. He said, "I, I want you to teach others also. Commit to faithful men that which I've committed to you. We call it the faith. Sound doctrine. Bible truth. And Paul would later tell Timothy that because of the growing popularity of apostasy and compromise, he would have to have an enduring strength that's only found in the grace of God if he hoped to successfully pass on the faith to the next generation. If you read 2 Timothy chapter 4, you'll study where Paul told Timothy that there will come a time when men will grow wax more evil and more evil and, and, and their, their ears will not be able to endure sound teaching and Bible doctrine and, and that kind of thing. And so he said, Timothy, you're gonna have to have enduring strength even more so than I did. And I touched on on, on much of that. Sunday night. In a statement in verse 1 or 2, here's the truth we need to understand. And this is where the rest of the passage, what it will build off of. Because of the importance of passing on the faith, we must endure in grace. That's the statement. That's the truth in a statement of verses 1 and 2. Because it's so important to pass on the faith, to teach others also, we must endure in grace. To put it shortly, be strong. And pass it along. Now, I touched on much of this by way of pastoral transition on Wednesday night. And I'm so thankful for the opportunity that the church has afforded Jenny and I to be able to partake in this privilege and responsibility to pass on the faith. But I submit to you that it's not just a pastoral duty. That every one of you who know Christ have been given and taught and handed the faith. You can't hoard what you've been given. You must be faithful to teach others also. So practically, what does that look like for you to pass on the faith? Well, I'll say this, it starts with your children. Parents, it starts with your children. We can't serve everybody else and then just hope that our children catch what we have. Our home, our offspring, our seed, they are our first priority, our first ministry. We can't gain the church and lose our family. On top of that, I would say to grandparents, your grandchildren are a priority. That you ought to work hard to pass on the faith to your grandchildren. I love the spiritual influence my son gets from my mom and dad. From Jenny's mom and stepdad. I'm so thankful for that heritage that he has. On top of that, we have an opportunity here at church and our involvement in ministry here to pass on what we've been taught. Those that are involved in the bus ministry. What a great privilege to pass on to the next generation something really they've never been taught in many ways. Those that are involved in children's ministry, we, we have ladies serving in the nursery right now. We have, we have people on both sides of, of the auditorium that are teaching others also. And some of you, you serve on a revolving team, so once every five weeks you're serving in a, on a children's church team on Sunday mornings. I, I urge you, take that seriously. Those kids need you to pass on the faith to them, and then it extends to just personal mentorship and discipleship. I took Brother Gary Dunham. uh, I I should say he took me for tea. It was my idea, but he paid. I I like that. That that worked out well for me, Um, but we sat down and had some some tea last, last week, and he began to share his heart about he just loves to take a young man and to mentor them and disciple them and and God has given him that opportunity in his business to to do so with so many People and that that is a way to teach others also is is personal discipleship But listen, that's not easy because real discipleship means relationship Passing on the faith teaching others also doesn't mean you stand behind a podium and you lecture and you tell them do this and don't do this No, we're talking about real time and real energy, and real commitment, a level of commitment that will actually drain you if you aren't enduring in the grace of God. You can't keep giving out without ever taking in. You'll run dry, your engine will blow. If you want to be effective in passing on the faith, you must endure, be strong in grace. So after Paul makes that point to Timothy, he then goes on in verses 3-7, through seven, or 3-6 through six rather, To give three images of endurance to help young Timothy understand his point clearly. He wanted to show Timothy what kind of endurance he would need to fulfill this task of passing on the faith. The three images of endurance are this. A soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Each really depict a different type of enduring in grace. Let's start with the soldier. The soldier who endures in focus. Look at verse 3. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warth entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. How many know that when you join the military life changes. Goodbye civilian life. Hello military life. That means no civilian gear. Standard issue clothing. No individual hairstyles. Limited contact with family and friends. No personal possessions. That means no camera, no watch, no designer sunglasses. Regimented schedules, stricter laws with stiffer punishment than civilian life. Move when and where you're told. Carry out orders without spre- expressing your personal opinion. That's the United States military. And you might say why so strict? Here's why. Because soldiers can't afford distraction. Soldiers can't be given the luxury of individual freedom because it distracts them from the mission. And the Apostle Paul chose a military analogy here because he knew a thing or two about a Roman soldier. Not because he was one, because he was often chained to one. No doubt he watched these soldiers, observed them, and he saw in them uh, an incredible level of focus... Paul said that a good soldier does not get entangled in the concerns of civilian life, but rather soldiers have an awareness that a war is going on. There is, in a sense, a disregard for trivial matters. Now I want to bring this back to our original context of 2 Timothy 2, where we're instructed to pass on the faith, and because of the importance of that responsibility, we need to endure in focus. The implication is clear That sometimes we as God's people, even though we've been given so much in regards to the faith, can so easily be distracted from the duty to pass it on. How? Well, we go to a great church. Enjoy a comfortable facility. Have close friends here. Enjoy great preaching. Wonderful music. And all the while you're enjoying receiving all of this every week, you can lose sight of the fact that you're not supposed to just take in and then go home. You're also supposed to give out. It's possible to get distracted with receiving so much of the right thing that we forget to give out the same. Paul implies that we could be distracted from giving out because of the difficulty of life when he told Timothy, Endure hardness. Don't suffering and trials have a way of sidelining Christians in their service for the Lord? No, we can get so caught up in how hard our life is that we totally cease giving into the life of others for a season of time. And I do agree there is a time during suffering where we need to rest and we need to slow down and we need to heal, but we can't stay there forever. We can't. And then Paul makes it clear that it's the affairs of this life that can distract us from the responsibility of passing on the faith. Meaning that we can just develop such an earthly mindset Meaning we're just about the here and now that we lose all sense of eternity in our hearts. Thus passing on the faith to those coming behind us almost just gets put on the shelf for simple things like career advancement, community involvement, hobbies, recreation, second and third jobs to get ahead financially, rest and relaxation, secular interests that are not bad, but they aren't eternal. And so when we come to church and we have an opportunity to pass on the faith, we're we're so consumed with earthly matters, whether that be a relationship, a financial issue, something at work. And we, we really lose sight of the fact that this is a prime opportunity for us to pass on the faith. We're distracted so easily from that. And so Paul says, as a soldier, endure and focus. Endure and focus. Dad, every time you're at home... Focus on the opportunity to pass on the faith to your child. Don't get distracted with your hobbies, your TV time, your personal interests, that you forget you have a little one that's watching you, and you ought to take advantage of every teachable moment to pass the torch. Grandparents, same thing. When we come to church, stay focused on that task. Number two, he talks about the athlete who endures in integrity. Look at verse 5. And if a man also strive for masteries... Yet is he not crowned, except he strive lawfully. So we know, based on Paul's writing, he was a sports fan. I like Paul for that. I love sports myself. He, he wrote about athletics often, and he would have been around the Greek games enough to be familiar with how they ran. In essence, he's saying in this verse, in order for the athlete to receive the evergreen wreath at the Greek games, that athlete must compete according to the rules. In other words, he has to play fair, has to play with integrity. If he was writing this today, he would have added, athletes cannot use performance-enhancing drugs. No, oh, that, 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 There was an, an era in baseball that they called the steroid era, performance-enhancing drugs. Um, the more I find out about, about Kelby's... Career, the more I, I'm I'm introduced to the fact of how strict they are regarding these performance enhancing drugs for these professional baseball players. Even if it's an accident and the nutritionist gives them something and they, they get these random drug tests and that shows up, it doesn't matter if it was an accident or not. They consider that playing without integrity there were three basic requirements every athlete had to abide by in the Greek games. These, these requirements had to do with birth, training, and competition. First, they had to be a true born Greek. Second, they had to prepare at least 10 months for the games and ironically they had to swear before the statue of Zeus or Zeus that they did that. And then third, they had to compete within the specific rules for that given event. To, to fail in any of these requirements meant automatic disqualification. They didn't have a, a, a judge they went and saw. There was no jury. If you're deemed to not have integrity, you're done. So then my question is this. What is Paul trying to tell us through the image of endurance? Through an athlete in light of passing on the faith. Well, he's trying to tell us to endure in integrity while passing on the faith. Because no one wants what you have if what you have is not pure. What you're passing on, watch, can be totally negated by the fact that it's not backed up with a life of integrity. Just ask the teenager whose parents tell them to do things that they themselves don't do. Or they tell the teenagers to stop doing things that they themselves can't stop doing. You ask the teenager if if their parents' lack of integrity makes it more difficult to receive their instruction and they will tell you 100% yes. They still should, by the way, but it makes it more difficult to receive. Just ask someone who sits in a fellowship Bible class every Sunday during this hour if it's hard sometimes receiving instruction from a class member who is offering perspective during a discussion point, yet that class member's life totally conflicts with what they're saying in class. 100% yes, it's hard to receive. Should we? We can learn from anybody, we're all sinners. But it makes it harder to receive because it lacks integrity. Paul isn't saying that we have to be perfect in order to effectively pass on the faith or else he himself would have been disqualified. You ever read about Paul's past? Timothy would have been disqualified. You and I would be disqualified. But he is saying that in order for our message to be received and learn from others with effectiveness, we have to endure in integrity. What does that mean? It means God has rules for us. It means God has a rule book. And I know, just like like in Timothy's day, it's even worse today that we live in a culture that doesn't value absolute truth. We live in a culture uh, where where, where, where situational ethics are the norm. Meaning what's right for you might not be right for me. What's wrong for me might not be wrong for you. But you know as well as I do, we have a rule book. And it is absolute truth. And it's absolutely important that in matters of right and wrong, we figure out what God's rules are in life. Any preacher that would say God doesn't have rules, he has grace. It's not the right balance there. I'm so thankful God has grace when I break his rules. But his grace doesn't mean I can break his rules without consequence. Or I should feel licensed to do so. I'm just trying to tell you, be a Christian of integrity... So that as you endeavor to endure, or you endeavor to teach others also, your life will not be a hindrance to them receiving the message. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Paul's given us an image of a soldier to teach us to endure in focus. He's given us an image of an athlete to teach us to endure and integrity. Let me give you one more. He gives us the, the image of the farmer who endures in labor. The farmer who endures in labor. Look at verse 6. The husbandman, that means one that, to, that, that tills the ground, that laboreth must be first partaker of the fruit. Now, um, Brother Wheeler just, well, he almost just walked in. Um, he's at the door during Sunday school greeting time, and he knows a lot about farming. I sat down with, with Garrett Kilborn this past week and talked a lot about farming. And you know farmers are hard workers. They can't afford to take shortcuts. They must toil every day. And the difference with this illustration of the farmer is that unlike athletics, or sometimes even the military, it's not glorious. And it's not exciting. The farmer's not applauded by fans, like the athlete is. The farmer's not welcomed home by civilians, like our military is. He does not call a press conference when he bails his hay. Listen, farmers don't clock in, they don't clock out. They start early, they stay late, they endure the cold, the heat, the rain, the drought. He plows the soil whether it's hard or loose. He doesn't wait for his own convenience because the seasons don't wait for him. When the time comes to plant, he must plant. When when weeds appear, he must remove them. I was talking to Garrett this week. He said the toughest part about this rain is that we can't keep the weeds under control. They have to spend extra time. De-weeding, they just can't say, well, I guess that'll just have to take care of itself. Paul uses a farmer to teach us to endure in labor while passing on the faith. Now watch here, because just like farming can be in itself unattractive, difficult, tedious, so is the task of teaching others also. Because discipleship is relationship. It takes time. It takes energy. It takes work. You don't pass on the faith by merely telling somebody to do the same thing you've always done. You don't. Sit your child on your lap and say, listen, do as daddy does. The end. Nor do you do that in church. Properly teaching somebody and passing on spiritual truth is a lifetime of work. It's like plowing a field. When you're you're plowing a life, so to speak, there is a time to plant. And then there is a time to water. And there is a time to pull the weeds. And there's a time to wait. Wait. But through it all, it's hard work and requires careful attention over a long period of time. So then I ask, what would motivate someone to go through all that work in teaching others? Well, the same thing that motivates the farmer to go through all the work to plow his field. The harvest. So that he, Paul says, can be first partakers of the fruits. He wants to feed his family. To the farmer, there's nothing like the reward of a good harvest. Boy, they're loving this rain, especially for their corn. They're expecting a great harvest this year. And to the teacher, the discipler, the investor, the spiritual mentor, there is nothing like the reward of a good harvest in a life. To invest yourself in the life of another and to see your investment pay off, listen, it makes it all worth it. I was in a, the line back there shaking hands. and just received so much encouragement and support Wednesday night, as did Pastor. And, and Thad Deaton came by. Him and Leah came by and gave me a hug and, and told us congratulations for the pastoral transition and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and Thad made a comment. He's like, man, I was just thinking how cool it is that, that you is able to be our youth pastor. And if God wills, you will be able to be our Pastor. And, and, and to that, I find no pride. I, I'm humbled by that. But that just proves it was so rewarding in that moment, Pastor. And you know that you've pastored people for years that were part of your youth department. It's just so rewarding to see young people that get it. Boy, they're involved, they're faithful. And, 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 and Thad's leading his family. In the right way, responsible young man. And, and he, he, he really does represent a number of, of young people that are now serving in our church. That's the kind of harvest that makes teaching others also worth it. But a lot of Christians have stopped plowing the field, so to speak. And I can think of for a couple of reasons. Number one, it just gets hard. I mean, let's be honest. It gets hard. It's tiring. It's too much time and energy, commitment for a non-guaranteed harvest. If that's you, listen, endure in labor. Well, if that's you and you're on a children's church, ne- children's church team next week, man, come with a good attitude. Come with vibrancy. Come with the fact that you have the good news that some of them kids have never even heard of and haven't understood, but you're planting seeds over time in their life so when the light bulb turns on, they'll be ready to accept Christ. When you're working in the nursery, when you're doing your family devotions at home, Grandparents, when you're praying with your grandchildren, man, understand that that, that it is going to be hard, and it is like plowing a field, but the harvest is worth it. Be not weary in well-doing. For in due season you'll reap if you faint not. Here's another reason so many Christians stop laboring in the field, so to speak. Their investments have just failed too many times. They're hurt. Because we know to make ourselves open... And to invest in the life of another person makes us vulnerable. It's somewhat risky because we try to love them to Jesus. And we spend time in them and effort on them. And when that comes back and almost stabs you in the back. Because for a, for a while they do good and all of a sudden they fall out of church. All of a sudden your, your kids will no longer listen to you. They go off into the prodigal's path. And it just gets so discouraging. And, and you almost become numb. You almost become callous. And you think to yourself, man, I just can't keep doing this And getting hurt like this, understand that at those times you have to gain perspective. You have at a point gained a harvest from somebody. And you have to dwell on the ones that have grown up, that you've watered and planted and prayed over and invested in and that haven't gone by the wayside, didn't wither away. You've got to keep your mind focused on those and then you've got to understand that you're ne- there's going to be some, some fields that you harvest, some lives you invest in, you'll never see the result until heaven. You've heard the, the, the song Faces. Joel sings it around here. One day God will tell you to turn around. It's all speculation. It's all kind of a writer's craft. But the idea is incredible that, that God will tell you to turn around and you'll see all the faces that are in heaven because of you. And I guarantee you, you'll see people in heaven because of your influence. If you you keep plowing the field, if you endure in labor that you thought would never be there. Keep doing that. And then I thought about this. I wonder how many times Jesus wanted to give up on Peter. Studied the gospel, studied his life. Come on, man, that guy was a withering plant every day. I would have plucked him from the ground and kicked him to the curb a long time ago if I was in the flesh. Thankful Jesus is one of love and compassion and patience and mercy. We wouldn't have a couple books of the Bible. The early church certainly would have been propelled forward, but not through the man named Peter. I mean, some big things happened because Jesus was patient with somebody. And so endure in labor, even when it's hard, even when you're disappointed, even when your investment seemingly fell. And then I'll give you this advice that something that will help you to prevent from giving up in this process says, do as Paul told Timothy to make sure that you're wise in who you choose to invest in. Make sure the field you're plowing has good soil. Paul told Timothy, teach faithful men. Yes. Don't spend all your time trying to teach an unteachable person. They don't have to be perfect to be taught, but they need to be formidable. And that's where we spend our time. Plowing good soil. Paul ended the section of scripture with another strong admonition in verse 7. I'll just read it and we'll be done. He begins, I closed my Bible and I shouldn't have. 2 Timothy 2 verse 7. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. The Greek word for consider, it's the only time it's used in all the New Testament right here. It means to mull over, to ponder deeply. So I want you to consider this for a moment. How are you doing with passing on the faith? That's what Paul wanted Timothy to think about. Okay, so I've told you how I've showed you what it looks like in a farmer a soldier and an athlete now consider Mull over for a moment how you're doing How are you doing with teaching others who is in your life right now that you're mentoring in spiritual matters? Do you have a son in the faith? Do you have a daughter in the faith? Are you enduring in focus or you have you been distracted as a parent a grandparent a church member from this responsibility of passing on the faith are you enduring in integrity or does your life contradict what it is you're being entrusted to pass on are you enduring in labor or have you stopped working as hard to pass it on simply because it doesn't seem that you're reaping the harvest you expected I'll say it again because of the importance of passing on the faith we must endure in grace be strong and pass it along let's pray together Then we will be dismissed for worship father